Uh, welcome back to Many Windows, the podcast about education for all educators, parents, students, and anyone who is caring about or is interested in education in all of its forms and for all of its kids and of all types. My name is John Cassie, and I am joined as always by my dear friend and co-host. Hello, Jennifer McGlemory here. Hello, Jennifer McGlemory. <laughs> How's it going? Um, good. Uh, today I'm joined by two dogs. Yeah. I'm sitting at my house, you're sitting at your house for the first time we're recording this remotely. Yeah, yeah, we're it's doing for- this, uh, we call this podcast style. Oh, is yeah. this how the pros do it? Yeah, this is how the pros do it, yeah. <laughs> now, you know, J- Jennifer's been interested in getting into podcasting for a long time, and I've been doing it a little longer, and so when she committed, hey, let's do this one together, we've been recording together all the previous episodes, but... We had a little get-together last time. We recorded our last episode together, and now she's set up at home. I'm at home in Santa Ana, California. She's at home in Sierra Madre? Yep. Yeah. So we're, what, 50 miles apart? Yes. But you know what? I've recorded podcasts with folks who were in Taiwan. That's pretty cool. You know, and it just works. So, you know, folks, if you're listening and you think a little bit about about your own practice. And one of the ways that you want to develop it is to share what you're doing in a podcast space. Email us, write to us. We'd be happy to talk to you about what we've learned in doing this and what we're doing to improve our own practice by, by podcasting and sharing. And also, frankly, all the different tips and tips and tricks we've learned about podcasting, because it's not so hard. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, we, we've started talking about next season for right. us, right? Because this season, I think we've just got one more episode that That's we're right. going to record. That's right. And then we were talking about, well, maybe next season, instead of big topics and episodes that go on over an hour, maybe we'd start to um, come up with more specific questions. Right. And have shorter podcasts, and maybe one of those will be, how do you start your own podcast, or right. what do you need to do if you want to create a podcast, right? Right, right. Or, you know, a, a review of other education podcasts, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, how do you start your own? What are the, what are the five things you've got to have? Right. And, and that sort of thing. But, yeah. but let that's us know for... if you're interested <clears throat> in something like that. Absolutely. And frankly, let us know if you... Uh, if you've got something to share and you'd like to come on and join us, we'd love to have, you know, we'd love to have other people remotely join in and, and share in the conversation. You know, I think we've gotten to the point where we have our sea legs. Yeah, I hope. Right? <laughs> yeah. So uh, following on from not last week's episode, but two, uh, two episodes ago when we talked about STEAM and STEM, uh, Jennifer and I, on reflecting on that, said that was that was good for what it is. But we've got a lot of folks out there in the audience, and you know, Jennifer's having this experience in her own school, and and I have it in mine. What about the notion of makerspaces? Okay, what what's a makerspace? What are they? Why do they seem to go hand in hand when you're talking about STEAM and STEM? What are they? How do you build one, and why should you, right? In Burbank, you know, there are a couple of places that you can go on the weekend or, you know, whenever um, that are called makerspaces. 
And I know some kids and people who have done that, but I think we're looking to bring, you know, how can we bring that into the schools? What does that look like right. in a school setting? Uh, you know, what's the value of it? Um, and is it something that's worth investing money in? Right, right. And these are, these are essential questions because while you can do a makerspace to some degree for a very little amount of money, mm-hmm. there is virtually no, no upside limit to how much you could spend. <laughs> yeah. Right? And so, you know, we should reflect on that in this episode. What does it look like when you, when you want to spend or can spend only a small amount of money or, you know, when you could buy, you know, gold-plated 3D printers, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. Because, because both are, are, are possibilities, right? Yeah. So, so, Jennifer, I think I'm more immersed in this than perhaps you are. So, you know, for, for audience folks maybe who are maybe a little less immersed, help them understand what a makerspace is or what it means to you. What, do you, what images are conjured in your mind? How would you define it? Yeah, I'm going to play the part of the novice in this podcast because I am one. Um, you know, I, I just have to say, I recently read a book. It's a book of fiction, and it was, it was something that I picked up on vacation. Uh-huh. And I always like to read something or try and find something that I didn't know existed when I'm on vacation and read for fun. And it's called Makers is the title of the book. It's by okay. Cory Dock. It's by Cory Doctorow. Oh, I love Cory Doctorow. Who I actually happen to know, but I saw the book first and I thought, how have I not read this book? And it was um, written, it was published in 2010, but the whole uh, setup is, it's about these two guys who are living in essentially a junkyard down in Florida. And they are inventors and makers and they are... Um, making all sorts of cool stuff and robots. And one of the first things that you're introduced to is they have uh, they have a little kind of like maybe golf cart is how I describe it. And they have somehow wired together all of these Elmo dolls <laughs> that, <laughs> that have some, you know, super basic electronic components. And these Elmo dolls work together to drive this robot around. Awesome. Or this cart, excuse me, this cart around. And it's just the coolest uh, image. But that's like the ultimate to me. Is, right. Um, it in, it's got to include some sort of, um, you know, electrical wiring, right? Right. In order to make something pretty interesting. And they're making innovative things and they're problem solving and trying to create things that are going to be mass distributed. Initially, he, uh, the other character finds these two guys and they're selling to collectors because they make one of a kind, just Uh crazy stuff. right? Right. But then he wants to, he wants them to create things that are marketable because he has just bought, um, Duracell and Kodak, which have both, gone bankrupt because this is like set in the not too distant future right it right. feels very much like it's happening right now right um and sure enough you know didn't kodak and duracell both kind of go bankrupt so this this entrepreneur buys these companies and um 
and merges them, and he's going to use their infrastructure right. to find these creative guys, inventors, makers across the country and see if he can't use their infrastructure to make something. They ultimately create uh, 3D printers that create the parts to make more 3D printers. <laughs> right, right. So they're printing the parts for the 3D printers to make more 3D printers so that everyone can kind of have one. Right. But to me, that's like the ultimate idea that I would love. It's this this playground for particularly our middle school and high school kids that I feel is going to benefit them in you know, the coming, as we talk about what are the careers that we're preparing our students for in 10 years, 20 years, that we can't possibly right. even imagine what the careers are that are going to be available to them. We're trying to create students and train students who at least have the ability to be innovative and come up with new ideas and new solutions to some of these big problems that they are going to face in their lifetime. Right. And I think that's, for me, that's the goal of a makerspace is to give students just access to these raw materials that they can um, rewire, reconfigure um, to make something different and new of their own creation. Um, so what what that looks like in elementary is going to probably be different than middle school and different than high school. Um, I know that we tried to create something in the middle school, I mean in elementary school when I was there, that was really quite basic, but maybe a good place to start. I'm not sure. Um, and I'm really interested to hear what you guys have done at the high school because I have a space right now that was our old wood shop mm -hmm. and we want to turn that into a maker space you know steam lab and i'm trying to figure out what do I, what can i buy right now to get us started and what am i gonna uh, long term want to get for this space right right yeah I, I think jennifer that your that your way of framing it is a hundred percent on point okay the whole notion of these spaces is designed to help young people develop a kind of facility of mind, a way of learning with the hands rather than just the mind. I think about the book, which I think I have mentioned on this podcast before, Shop Class as Soulcraft. Hmm. Uh, by a philosopher, motorcycle mechanic named Matthew Crawford, who in his you know, late 20s, early 30s, came to the conclusion that being an office drone was really not only profoundly unsuited to him, but a profoundly unsuitable way of life for most people. Mm. And, uh, and this book is essentially a philosophy of the meaning of work, and the, the value of making, in his case, motorcycles, but the, 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 the notion works universally. The idea that if you can learn how to assemble and disassemble and reassemble a, an object, a complex object, 
the critical thinking that goes into doing such a thing is at such a high level that, that there's virtually no better choice to learn critical thinking than to do these things, okay? So your, your sense of this, I think, is really resonant. When I have conversations with my colleagues who work in that area, and the closest one is our librarian. Huh. Okay. From, from my research in this area and my, my belief in the way that schools should be organized, the very best people to provide leadership here are librarians. In fact, when we hired a new librarian a few years ago, I explicitly listed the job as a librarian slash Makarian. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and the, the dear friend and colleague that we, we hired is extraordinarily gifted, not just as a librarian, in the more traditional way of understanding it, but also in this other way. Because library science is about information and curation and citizenship and critical thinking, which in a makerspace you also should care about. It's not just for science teachers. Okay. Right. In right. fact, the very best kinds of maker work, the, the work that comes out of these spaces is inspired by design thinking and is therefore about empathetic design, solutions for real people, or frankly for characters, right? Read a book to children, identify a problem that a character in the book is having, make in a makerspace a solution to that problem, iterate the problem after you've had a chance to put it on like a, like a museum walk kind of thing, and design and design, okay? Mm -hmm. So from, from my perspective, it's not just the, the, the stuff that's in it, but also the way of thinking that leads to its design and to its development, right? So uh, if you go around to many civic libraries, they'll have a makerspace. They'll have mm -hmm. a 3D printer. Mm -hmm. They'll have something like that in there because lots of, uh, lots of people, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not unique in thinking that library and maker go together. As libraries mm -hmm. change, one of the things they're doing is incorporating some of this uh, you know, into their work. It's kind of like a, a, a trans transformation of the you know, computer lab. Right. Right, which was seen as, uh, uh, you know, as a great changer, a game changer. And, and it, it was for, for the people who used it, right? And for those who didn't, uh, you know, it, 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 was, it was always a bit of a, you know, what's going on in there kind of thing, right? Um, you know, the funny thing is when we got our makerspace cart at the elementary school and I wanted a place for the kids to be able to right. use the different items on this cart and I wanted to have set up in our schedule a time when kids were coming somewhere and I'm looking for where is a location you uh -huh. know, that has tables and space uh -huh. and it was the library. Of course That's it was. absolutely where we did it. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, in in fact, our library curriculum is a library slash maker mm. curriculum in the uh, you know in the lower school, right? Because my, you know my school's deeply committed to uh, developing engineering skills, mm. and uh, you know we really want students to be able to think algorithmically and programmatically and empathetically. So, you know, our, our lower school, you know, maker curriculum and library curriculum are, are one thing, right? Yeah, um, I can see that. Yeah. So your, your definition, I think, of what a makerspace is, is entirely sound. It's, it's, a, it's a place in your school or a cart in your school that has a variety of, of objects and materials and things like that that you use to do learning in a very different kind of way than uh, th- 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 than you'd see in a in a typical classroom. Mm-hmm. Okay. I yeah, do want to say I do want to say I've I've always been interested in student directed learning. Yeah. How do you embed that into your classrooms and into your school? And I think this is the ultimate version of that. Correct. Correct. Uh, even when it isn't perfect, even when it doesn't really land, it's still a great example of student-directed learning. And what they get from it is strong development of meta learning skills, metacognitive skills. Okay, maybe they didn't learn some principle of multiplication, but they learned how to collaborate better, right? Or they they had experience in trying something that didn't quite work and having to redesign it so that it worked better. Well, that's what adulthood is. Mm-hmm. None of us ever get something right right out of the gate most of the time it's you mean like us setting up for this podcast that's today right. <laughs> exactly <laughs> right yeah G- gentle listeners it took us at least 20 minutes of futzing to get skype working correctly and then oh well now this problem is here and no you can't sit there because that fan is too loud and da, 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 da. right um so so look, the, these these spaces that are that are coming back into you know into schools, these makerspace carts, etc. They're all in relation to what we talked about a couple of episodes ago, a focus on science and technology, engineering, mathematics, and art, and they reflect also a fundamental uh, change in the United States that started in the late 1970s and accelerated to the 1980s, which was in response to all of that anxiety about falling behind and learning (laughs) and nation at risk and no child left behind, we stopped teaching how to make things and really focused our energies just on the head. And so Mm. things like wood shops and mechanical drawing and metal shops and programs in cooking and fabric arts, et cetera, et cetera. You know, industrial arts and home ec, which 
are, in my judgment, essential programs. We're all cut. Mm. They never should have yeah. been cut. Right. So Maker is in, is in some in some way an attempt to reassert that these things should be you know should be available to kids and should be happening. Okay. So <clears throat> you want to build a makerspace. Yep. First thing you got to have is somewhere for kids to work. Now, this could be part of a classroom that is specifically set up to allow you got to have bigger tables yeah. or you've got to have configurable tables so that you have some space to do the work. It's not the sort of thing you can do easily on an individual desk. Right. So you've got to think about what does the physical space look like? It really matters. Don't stint on this. Okay. You may not be able to design an entire classroom or build a space for, for it, but you probably have somewhere in your school building that you could repurpose. So think about repurposing it. Okay. And you don't even need to bring in a lot of, a lot of fresh cash because you've probably got tables in, in your storage rooms or other types of things that you could make into, right? You need two sawhorses and a doorframe. Or even, wouldn't you say, a folding table? I mean, like totally. a large, totally. right? Yeah. It doesn't have to be set up in your classroom no. all day. No. It could be something that you put up during this time, right? Correct. Correct. Uh, your kids, okay, you're in an elementary setting. Your kids go to, um, your kids go to a specialist, Take 10 minutes while they're at their specialist, reconfigure the room to do maker learning so that it's not small tables, but it becomes one giant table, like a drafting table, mm -hmm. and everyone sits around it, okay? Uh, you're in your, uh, you know, you're in a middle school setting. Uh, you've got two or three carts that have stuff that students can use to do maker projects with. All right, well, turn a, th turn a quarter of your of your uh, cafeteria or your theater mm -hmm. into mm -hmm. such a thing, right? Your stage is not in use all the time. Put your tables up there. Mm -hmm. and cafeteria put is a great idea. Right, right. right? Because it's, There's, you've got yeah. all kinds of tables in there. And right. it, with the exception of when, when you're at uh, nutrition or recess and lunch, that nobody's usually in there. Right. And therefore, you probably have time, right? Get, get some plywood big pieces of plywood from, you know, your local, you know, home improvement store, $10, and you could turn virtually any surface into a surface that a makerspace would, mm. you, you know, would look like, right? So, folks, you can do this for virtually no money to get, to get set up. Every school has these spaces. Walk yours. Find it. There's going, to be a, there's going to be a room that someone tried to experiment in and it didn't land, okay? And nobody knows quite what to do with the room. Or there's going to be a room that used to be a computer lab. Or, Jennifer, to your point, a room that used to be the wood shop, mm -hmm. okay? Well, that room is already in its bones set up to be a makerspace. 
Oh yeah, we have right. these great tables, right? That are square and heavy duty, and right. we just refinished them. Right. So once you figure out what the physical environment is going to look like, what you need to do at that point is decide how deeply you want to go into this. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, at my school, very well resourced. Okay. We have essentially three facilities for middle and upper school students that might fall under this maker framework, okay? The first one we call our design lab. Mm. It's like a prototyping lab, okay? That has the, the, all the stuff that is the least expensive and the most consumable, okay? We also have a materials lab, which is where we work in more expensive materials like wood and 3D printing. Okay, so we have sort of wood shop equipment and 3D printers. We also have a, a fabrication lab, which is where very expensive things happen. Okay. But it's, you know, it's 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 up to you how much you want to commit resources because you could spend an unlimited amount of money <laughs> right. do, you know, doing this kind of work, but you don't you don't need to. Okay. So if you're thinking about turning a space in your school into a makerspace. What do you need at the most basic level? Well, I mean, Jennifer, you've got makerspace carts. Yeah. You know, for elementary, what was on them? So um, for our makerspace carts, and I believe there was a uh, CTE grant, you know, college, no, career and technical, right, was something... That the E stands for <laughs> education. <laughs> education, I think yeah. so. Um, so there was a grant that our district applied for, and uh, was able to order these products for every elementary school. We have eleven, right? Um, and you know, a cart to house them on. So on, I think what came on it was um, Tiva planks. Have you heard of this? They're just little wooden pieces. Indeed, yeah. Right? I mean, it it kind of looks like blocks that you might have played with, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, as a a small child. But there are these um, challenges that you're supposed to, you know, have a ball that you have to set up something where when you put a, a ball goes down and then back up to the other side or goes around. There's some interesting things. Um, online, I think, and maybe that came with it that uh, you can really inspire your older students. And I'm talking upper Correct. elementary at this point and, yeah, and right. beyond. But this was great for elementary, and our kids loved it, particularly. Our, well, you know what? I walked into a kindergarten class where they were uh, using these Tiva planks, and the kids were uh, really enjoying creating things and trying to. Uh, build something with an intention, you know, like a bridge or, you know, things like this. So we had these Tiva planks. We also had, um, uh, one thing I discovered was the scholastic books. You know, you, a lot of schools and teachers, uh, buy scholastic books and the students in their classroom. If you put in an order as a teacher, you get scholastic points. Mm -hmm. Well, 
I was go. We had accumulated a lot of scholastic points because we did a book fair, and if you take scholastic, I think they call them dollars. It's not a one to one, but you know, you yeah, it's the idea. You take the dollars, the scholastic dollars. You can spend them in their <clears throat> store. Well, I went in their store, and they have these little bits kits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, little and, bits right? are great. And that's some simple electronics. You know, you're just kind of plugging things together. But there's a musical one. There's all kinds of different little bits kits. And there's a great online component to that as well on how to use those. So we, our maker cart came with some of those. But I had all also purchased some of those using our Scholastic points. Mm-hmm. And I thought they were relatively inexpensive for what they were. And particularly, I mean, this is free money that I'm using when I'm using these scholastic dollars, right? Right. And sometimes you go on there and you can buy an, uh, a laptop or a um, projector and it's, I don't know, 5,000 of your scholastic points, you know, it pretty right. much wipes everything out. And these were more like 200 scholastic points. Right. So they were, re- they, and, and it was, of course, like I said, it was free because it's these points. So I was pretty excited to find those. I added some of those. And another thing, I don't even know, I don't think it came on our cart initially, but we found it. Um, it's these products that are called Q-Ba Maze. Q-B-A Maze. Okay. And you can find it on Amazon. And there's all kinds of different kits. There's the big box, it's called. And I'm looking on Amazon right now. Okay. And the big box is $35. Okay. And they're little plastic building pieces that ha- that ultimately you're making a maze that a ball is going to run through. Right. But each piece has a little exit, if you will. It has four legs that stack. And then... It either has a hole in the bottom, so that's like one exit. The ball can only drop straight down. Or some of them have the exit on the side, and so it's only on one side. Sometimes it's on two sides, right? The ball will go either way. And the kids loved these, had such a great time. Then there's these other pieces you can buy. You can buy these stunt sets, and you can can spend, you know, a lot more money. Um, But... That was one of the most popular pieces that our kids used in elementary school that they really enjoyed. And then they send the ball through and they're like, whoops, I've got an exit that I didn't realize going off the wrong way. And here goes my little ball shooting off uh, across the floor. Right. That happens very easily. Oh, yeah. And then they have to reconfigure, like you said. To me, I see it as, you know, when when we're... in middle school, there's sometimes these projects where they're building bridges or they're building Correct. structures Correct. That, that have to withstand an earthquake, right? Right, um, right. It's, it's like that. It's the precursor to that skill. Right. Um, yeah. So those, the kids just absolutely loved them. And those were some of the main ones. And then, you know, you also, you can buy crafting items. We had... Ours came with a lot of little crafting items, but I, those were not as um, you. The kids weren't really into those. They didn't quite know what they were supposed to do with the popsicle sticks and pom poms yeah. and all, you know. So you have to ask yourself if that's really, um, 
even worth the small amount of money and the space that it takes up because yeah. those did not really get used. Yeah, you 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 need to have them, but it may be that they were looking for a particular project that your teachers never did. Right. Right. There's yeah, and, 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 and that's fine. Right. You know, the trick about setting one of these spaces up is that you need so many different kinds of bibs and bobs. Yeah. Right. Uh, I mean, you definitely need those crafting materials and you need uh, you you need more cardboard than you ever (laughs) think could even be created, you you, you know, by 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 uh, by 10 cardboard factories. Okay, and. And you need cardboard in all kinds of shapes. Mm. So you need paper towel rolls, and you need toilet paper rolls, and you need cereal boxes, and you need proper boxes, and you need flats, and, and, and. Mm -hmm. Because if you're going to fabricate things cheaply, well, one of the cheapest materials to fabricate from is cardboard, okay? Mm-hmm. So you've got to have a lot of that. It's because it's not just about the technology, right? It's also about the 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 act of building a thing that maybe works or maybe kind of doesn't work, right? And and prototyping, which is ultimately what these spaces are good for, requires uh, building something and then it doesn't work and you tear it down and you try again. I walked into a first grade classroom right. where they had brought in cereal boxes, right. paper towel rolls, to, and they were their task was to create instruments yeah. out of them. Yeah. What a great activity. And this was just something the teacher did. She collected these um, pieces of cardboard, like you said, for a couple weeks and had them in the back of her classroom until right. they had enough. And they went at it one day, and it was, it was pretty amazing. Totally. Totally. We've uh, 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 we've done the similar kind of project in our fifth grade mm-hmm. where uh, students learn about the um, the uh, discarded items orchestra of Paraguay. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. Right. Right. And students then use the materials in the makerspace to, you know, building found objects to make instruments of their own, and then, you know, we pl- sort of play them, right? That's an idea where library and maker comes together again. Right. Right. We're trying to build those empathic skills by having students read about, learn about these kids, and then sort of do the same kind of work that they, you know, that they would be doing in Asuncion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, you got a space... You got to fill it with stuff, right. not just kids. So <laughs> many of the things that we've talked about are, uh, uh, I want to reiterate, you got to have cardboard and you've got to have tape and you've got to have crafting materials. You got to have popsicle sticks and papers and pipe cleaners and crayons and markers. And you've got to have more scissors than you could ever imagine. Mm. And not just flimsy paper scissors. Mm. Cardboard is not going to cut itself. Okay. Proper, the scissors you're going to buy at Joann's are not going to cut cardboard. You have to get high, highly uh, uh, heavy-duty 
cardboard cutters. Mm-hmm. Okay, they're not uh, particularly that sort of thicker double, uh, you, you know, sort of uh, uh, two ply cardboard, right? In like a proper moving box. Right? That's that that requires really proper cutters. Okay, um, you need uh, you need things like. Uh, well, it depends in part on what you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. If all you want to do is do cardboard prototyping, you just need a lot of cardboard. If you want to work in foam, hmm. you got to have foam. Foam is useful for molding and craft. I mean, cardboard's great if you want to build things in planes, but if you want things that are round or things that you can manipulate in other planes, geometric planes, you got to have foam. Foam is ridiculously expensive. Hmm. Okay. Um, do you want to work in wood? Well, if so, then you need then you need all of the proper tools for woodworking. Now, having said that, many of the tools for woodworking, saws, miters, uh, etc., well, they're going to be useful for cardboard as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you want to think about that. Those are all practical, right? I want to say two things about the foam. It made me think about. um, So we do a Harry Potter night at my elementary, at the my old elementary school. I started this, and I wanted to run a Quidditch game. So I needed to make some Quidditch goals, right? And you can you can go online and see different people how they've made these Quidditch goals, which are basically a ring that's standing on a pipe or, you know, it's it's in the air. So the ring has got to somehow stand up so that you can throw the ball through it. So I went to our local hardware store because I needed to make six of these. Right. And I had seen a lot of people online were using hula hoops for this. Sure. I could not find hula hoops. It was like the wrong time of year. I think <gasps> it was fall, you know, so I couldn't find hula hoops anywhere. And so I was going to try and use some sort of piping. Sure. You know, some, to how am I going to connect this circle to a stick? What right. is that joint going to look like? So right. I'm thinking about piping material, and I know that there are these little connectors that will do that. Yep. So I, I went to the hardware store, found those. Those were inexpensive. And then I'm trying to find something that's going to fit in each end. And they had, I don't know what, it, if it was to cover pipes and plumbing, okay. you know, this foam, it looked like a pool noodle. Indeed. Yeah. That's pool it, noodles are a great so, example of what I'm talking about. So I'm thinking pool noodles, you can find inexpensively. This foam that looked like pool noodles was really inexpensive. Yes. Um, and then another suggestion I have for that that I'm literally thinking of as you're talking about it is I do a lot of sewing. Right. And I've made um, cushions and, the, sure. and you need foam for that. And you're yep. right. These pieces of foam are really expensive. Yes. But Joanne's always has a 40 or 50 percent coupon. Correct. Every single time. And they have, you know, <clears throat> pieces of foam in all sorts of thicknesses. Correct. Well, you probably, we're talking about maybe half inch and inch thick pieces of foam, right? If it's, if it's too much thicker than that, you're going to have a hard time bending it and right. creating those unusual shapes. Right. And so you can buy some of that 
um, uh, yardage wise, you know, instead of the pre-cut pieces, you can buy it on a roll. And if you've got that coupon or they're having a sale, Joann's might be a good place to look as well for that phone. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And again, it depends in part on what your teachers want to do in this space. Because all the stuff I was talking about before, sort of in your cardboard prototyping, right? But plenty of makerspaces have multiple sewing machines. Yeah, for sure. The one that we have has a quilting attachment. <laughs> okay. It's perfectly, it's perfectly normal. It's, it's de rigueur in a properly designed makerspace that it have a textiles and, uh, and, and sewing section. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because it might be that the answer to the question that the teacher poses is best answered in a textile solution. That makes right? me think about, so we have a tech crew class that supports right. our, you know, vocal music. Totally. And they, all of our productions are kid run, right? They're right. doing stage management, lighting, right. sound. They're right. learning all of that. And it's... It's so cool to see them doing that. So this year, the tech crew, they know that I sew. So right. they asked me to come to class one day because they said they had an idea for making the backdrop for the choir set this okay. year. They were doing, they were all dressed as, the choir was all dressed as hippies and they were doing like Hazy Shade of Winter and right. all these kind of, right, right, these songs. And so they had an idea, the tech crew, that they wanted to sew together a bunch of bandanas. Okay. And they say to me, Dr. Meg, we heard you have seven sewing machines. And I said, who told you that? <laughs> no one's supposed to know that. That's my secret. <laughs> they said, could you help us? So it's essentially like putting together the top of a giant quilt, right? Right. And so I brought in four of my machines and we set them up in the auditorium. I had a little mini sweatshop going on in there. Right. Uh, during sixth period, I would go in and check on the kids and we just set up the sewing machines on folding tables and they sewed these bandanas, bandanas together and we had a 40 foot backdrop wow. made wow. of, I want to say, you know, 250 bandanas. This thing was huge. Wow. And I helped them ultimately sew the rows together. They were sewing them into rows, and then I helped them sew the rows together. And it turned out great. But I'm thinking about this that we set up just for that one task, but how cool would it be if they could have gone into the makerspace room or, you know, right. and used the things that were in there. Right. And here's another application where, and because I'm the other thing I want to talk about I don't want to leave this topic yet of what's in your makerspace, but we need to talk about when can kids access it. Okay, we'll come to time, that. Time is such an important piece. But here's an example of a class that's already meeting who could use this space and could totally. really, you know, your, your um, tech, your play production, we have a play production class. They're sometimes making some of their set pieces. They, If you've right. got a stocked makerspace or design lab, they right. could be using that. I'm getting super excited just thinking about all of this. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really... I, I mean, I think when makerspaces really land in a school, they are aligned to what students are already sort of doing. Okay. You've yeah, got a yeah, tech yeah. you've got a tech crew class, okay? Well, those kids are already going to have experience with 
what we might call shop tools. They're already yes. accustomed to working with, with wood right. and what have you. Well, put that in the makerspace mm-hmm. and go, go find people in your quilting circles who have old sewing machines that they're willing to donate and set up a whole wall of sewing machines. Mm-hmm. And then that way, your angle, because it's all about angles, Jennifer, right? What's your angle in? Your angle in is maybe textiles and technical theater. At my school, the angle in is engineering, okay? It's not robotics. That's for other schools, okay? Mm-hmm. If you go, folks, when you go, you're listening to this episode and you go out and you look at the web and you type in, what should I put in my makerspace? You're inevitably going to see, well, you've got to have 10 million kinds of Legos and you've got to have mm-hmm. Makey Makeys and Arduinos and Raspberry Pis and all these robot kits and 3D printers that are really pens and blah, blah, blah. And you can have all those things. But if your school isn't moving in that direction, you should have the things that are going in the direction your school is going in, Right. Robotics is not engineering. Hmm. Robotics is robotics. We're an engineering school, not quite a robotics school. Okay. Hmm. So you really have to think about what you're doing. Okay. We want students to be able to solve unbelievably complex engineering problems and to build equipment to solve those problems. Our engineering teacher has a background in space science. So our students do a lot of coding and, and programming uh, to communicate with satellites and building technology to access those things. Okay, It's not robotics. You know, the ultimate image I have when thinking about you know, the application right. of something like this is from the movie Apollo 13, right? 100%. You, everybody 100%. knows what I'm talking about. Yep. They have to That's solve what making a problem. Is. Yep. They, yep. And they've got all this junk that they throw on the table and go, okay, we got to reconfigure this piece of equipment that's not working for them. If we don't get the answer to our question from this box of materials, these astronauts die. Yeah. This is all they've got. This is what they have. None of it is suitable. None of it works to do what we need it to do. So figure it out. And it's all they have, so don't ask for anything else. And you're under time pressure. That's what making is. Or what it could be. Yeah. Okay. And so what what do you want? You want a little bit of everything. See what your kids use. See what your teachers design lessons to use. Okay. If you're the leader, go in and observe them. Participate, okay? Bring your own bring your own work. But just because no one has used those popsicle sticks doesn't mean that tomorrow they won't. Just because no one has used that giant roll of foam you bought doesn't mean they won't tomorrow. You have to have it available, hmm. okay? Now, you and I are both in Southern California, okay? For folks who are abroad or who are in other parts of the United States... You're going to have to look for this example, okay? But there's an organization in Southern California called Trash for Teachers, t4t.org, okay? 
And what Trash for Teachers does, they're like a... They take in manufacturing cast-offs from local manufacturers, clean them, and make them available to educators to come in and buy them for dirt cheap, okay? You never quite know what they're going to have if you go and visit them. They have like a, like a, like a store. So maybe you go and uh, what they have are 500 uh, discarded doll heads and a barrel of 3D printed, uh, uh, you know, letters and numbers, or they've got 500 burlap sacks or weird manufacturing. They've got plastic bottles or whatever, okay? Go find your places like that and pick their materials for random stuff, okay? I always like to put weird random stuff into makerspaces because kids will see it and it'll spark a creative moment, okay? And uh, I bought a, a giant bag of googly eyes <laughs> at, at Trash for Teachers, you know, and my colleague going with me is sort of rolling her eyes at the goofball things I'm putting in there. But I said, trust me. Yep. Someone will find a use for it. Some teacher will have a project that, that resonates for it. Okay. So, um, so where is that? Where is that located? It's in Glendora. Oh, okay. okay. So it's basically halfway between you and me. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. It's, uh, it's run by an organization called two bit circus. Okay. Oh, so if you've heard of them, yeah, if you check them out, uh, again, it's a California thing. Uh, but if you check them out, you'll, you'll, you'll see some things, okay? Now, all of this is inexpensive stuff, ultimately. Even a, even a, a you know, table saw, if you set up a more like a proper wood shop, even that's only a few hundred dollars, okay? Mm -hmm. So you could have a proper table saw, uh, a, you know, a miter, all, all in, the, in the sub-1,000 range, okay? Mm -hmm. Once you go above that, you're starting to look at things like Lego Mindstorms kits mm -hmm. for robotics. You're starting to look at an object like a Glowforge, which is a laser cutter. Oh, okay. wow. Yeah, it's an inexpensive laser cutter that's easy to use. Okay, so even, even middle school age students can use a Glowforge. Okay, it's not one of these giant laser cutters that takes up, uh, you know, half a, half a classroom, right? Um, even more sophisticated, you might have things like uh, a CNC or a lathe mm. or, you know, other things that will cut wood or other materials along a variety of axes, okay? Those are going to be for more advanced projects, obviously, but it's no different to have that for a more advanced approach than it would be to have, uh, you know, a Lego, you know, a number of Lego Mindstorms kits, right? Because Mindstorms kits are... are Three hundred dollars mm -hmm. to get in, right? And if you have any number of kids, well, if you have three people working on one kit, and you have twenty kids in your class, well, you're over two thousand dollars. Well, the other thing right we have those because we do have a robotics class, uh -huh. and again, one of these, you know, Perkins grants was used to buy those. And the thing about those is, you use them once. 
then you have to disassemble everything yes. and put it back somewhere where all these little pieces, mm-hmm. you know, don't like that's the the part the kids don't want to do, but no teacher has the time to disassemble 20 things and mm-hmm. put them all back together mm-hmm. to make it that new kit again for the next student right. to use. Right, right. So my my robotics teacher and computer teacher has all has purchased all kinds of little um uh boxes, you know, just that he just throws all of those things all the pieces that look like this go in this box and all right. and trying to instead of trying to set up each kit again and then I think it makes it a little more um instead of just making the one thing that that kit is designed to make or a couple of things right now it's like where's the cre- creativity piece where you're making your own designs that you're not following the the lego um map or right. directions you know because that's what i'm interested in i mean if you can afford it go to the lego store and buy a bunch of those lego barrels don't buy uh, don't buy kits. Just buy the barrel of bricks, mm-hmm. right? Because students will use those um, in in a, in a million different ways. Well, and right. here's something I was thinking: the cardboard, you know, all of those pieces you said initially, right. Legos. This is all something you can have a drive at your school and ask people to donate. Right? Totally. They totally. have got these at home by middle school. Half of the kids have a ton of Legos at home that they got when they were three, four, five, six that they're not using anymore. Hundred percent. You don't need to buy this stuff. Nope, nope. And in in fact, if your teachers are, uh, you know, connected in their own neighborhood in some way, you need to buy almost none of this. Right. I mean, to the point about the sewing machines. Okay. To the point about. Um, uh, scrap wood to work with, mm-hmm. okay? These materials exist in your school community. Find out how to get access to them and get access to them, okay? So to reiterate, figure out what your teachers are doing or what your low-hanging fruit is, okay? It may be that your low-hanging fruit is in rapid prototyping, Okay, Uh, that's where your cardboard and your popsicle sticks direction is. Maybe your low hanging fruit is textiles and sewing. Okay, maybe a previous uh, school leader got a five thousand dollar grant and you've got all of this stuff that relates to electronics and robotics. Design your makerspace to take advantage of what you already have. Because there's no reason to, to kind of reinvent the wheel. If you have all of this equipment to do electronic making, there was probably a reason why it was bought. Either you could get access to it or because there was, it was clear from the school community that there was some potential value there, there was some potential interest, okay? So figure out what you are as a school and lean into that. Or figure out what the teacher who wants to lead this needs and proceed from there. What, what, whatever that looks like is what you want to make sure that you do, okay? You want to think about the space where you're going to store this, 
We didn't talk about storage, but good grief, you're going to need to buy right. storage. <laughs> right. Okay. And you're going to need to buy storage for large things, mm. medium-sized things, small things, tiny things. If you buy uh, a whole bunch of, uh, well, use my example, you buy a big giant bag of googly eyes, you can't keep them in their plastic bag. They're going to have to be in a bin somewhere labeled googly eyes, or no one will be able to find them, or they'll be all over the floor, <laughs> right? So you've got to make sure that you're, you know, that you're mindful of that. Think about the space you're working in, who your kids are, and, and what you already have on hand to help you as you make the decision, okay? But regardless of the direction in which you go, there are, you know, there are going to be basics that you need, right? If you're in that prototyping side, you're going to need the cardboard and you're going to need glue and you're going to need tape and you're going to need cardboard cutters and you're going to need scissors and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you're in the prototyping and manufacturing, you're going to need small 3D printers. You can get 3D printers for not a lot of money these days. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if you get three or four of them, you'll have enough to, to have all of them running and printing at the same time. Okay. You can teach Tinkercad mm -hmm. to a fourth grader. We do. Yep. Okay. So... You can do basic 3D printing, even as low as grade three or four, under the student's control, right? They're not going to put their hand under the, under the nozzle, right? Because that's, you don't want their hands in there because that plastic is hot, mm -hmm. okay? But you could definitely do that, but you don't need to. People think making, and then they think, well, it's all about 3D printing, and we don't have two, three, five, eight thousand dollars to get in there, so we can't do anything. Nonsense. You can get in there for cheap, and and your point earlier about using three D printers to make <laughs> uh, pieces uh, to yeah. make parts for other three D <laughs> printers. Well, that's just the machine parts revolution. We talked about that in our two episodes ago. Yep. The moment you have a machine that can make another machine, you've made a human worker who used to make those parts by hand, obsolete. Mm. Machines that can make copies of themselves, that's industrialization. Do it in plastic and do it in a, you know, in a classroom, and that's the maker revolution. Yep. At least that's the idea, right? So does that sort of come close, Jennifer, to what you were thinking about in terms of you know, what, what you need to get. It's really about where are you, where are you trying to go and where are you coming from? Yeah, that's so helpful. It's really got me thinking about all kinds of creative ways to accomplish this. That's right. Because I think one of the places I got stuck is where are we going to find the money to do this? Right. And now I'm thinking, what kind of bins do I need to store all of the stuff that I'm going to collect <laughs> Right. when right. I just put the call out there? Correct. Because we've always been really successful. People are so generous and um, willing to, to bring things in. I just want to really kind of think more about that as a way to initially stock our makerspace in another way because we have, we've spent some money, the district has spent some money, on some of these slightly more high-tech right. 
pieces. Now I want the low tech pieces. Correct. That's what we don't have, right? Correct. Correct. So thinking about that, um, the other, the last thing I want to talk about before we leave this topic and finish this episode, okay? Because I know there's a lot of teachers and administrators thinking, how, where do I fit this in? How do I find the time yeah. to do this? Right? Yeah. So I'll tell you what I did at the elementary school. Okay. Um, which is we do um, a program that we've called Power Hour, that we call Response to Intervention, right. starting as early as first grade, where we identify the students who need um, intervention, who are behind in reading and math. Right. And we have a period of the day, it's maybe 45 minutes, where the kids go to, um, it's it's now homogeneous grouping because all of our classes are hetero, heterogeneous yes, yes. grouped. So this is a period of the time. We we did it sometimes three days a week, sometimes four days a week, different, different years. Um, and the kids at a grade level all reconfigure. We bring in a couple of part-time teachers just during this time so that we can make some of the groups smaller for the kids who are struggling. Yep. And then the kids that are at and above grade level, they would do a type of enrichment. Right. So right. That, that was um, particularly in reading. You know, the, in first right. and second grade, that enrichment is just learning to kind of read more fluently, learning to discuss literature literally in second grade they were learning to discuss literature right um but by fourth grade after we had this program well established and we're doing it every year at every grade level by fourth grade the kids that were at and above grade level no longer really needed to be doing enrichment that looked like reading literature for example right so we started kind of an elective program during that time for kids that were at and above. So we were able to still provide the interventions for students who needed it, but kids that were at and above grade level, I had, I had, um, the maker space in the library. I Mm -hmm. had my computer lab. The teacher was doing a digital citizenship class. One of my teachers really wanted to do art. Mm -hmm. One of my teachers wanted to do, Um, an advanced math class and we let kids kind of select and we did they were able to move between we would rotate at least twice Mm -hmm. so that they got to experience different things we had one teacher wanted to do drama so it really was like an elective program and that's where we fit in our maker space at the elementary school is we did it during that intervention time we just coupled intervention and enrichment together Um, right instead of just pulling out kids for intervention and then the teacher going on with her class with the kids that were at and above you got half the class gone anything you do with the the kids that are left the kids that are gone are missing so how how do you decide what to do so that's what we did at the elementary school yeah at our at our middle schools there are some teachers who have been doing something that they call genius hour absolutely right so you can a lot of you are probably familiar with that, but they have decided to carve out an hour once a week or, you know, and devote it to kids working on a project of their choice. Right. So this could be um, incorporated. Maybe during that hour you go into, if you have a special space, you go in or you bring in the makerspace cart. Right. And that could be part of 
what some of the kids are doing for their genius hour. Totally. And then, of course, there's, for, for me, I've started at the middle school with an after-school, opening it up for after-school um, kids who want to just drop by and work on something. Yeah. You can always, yeah. That doesn't cost very much to, to pay a teacher an extra hour, you know, twice a week so that we can open up the makerspace for yep. kids. Yep. Yeah, nearly um, every school that has a makerspace has it open at times like lunch or before yeah. school or after yeah. school for kids who just want to riff, right, who just want to play around. So right. how do you guys at your school, I mean, I know it's it's really kind of a different schedule altogether, but tell me how you guys do it. We do it very similarly to the way that you described it, okay? In the lower school, we have, uh, we have a period where students do library and or maker, mm, okay? okay? And so the library staff teaches a course in, in maker learning, okay? And it's integrated with the library curriculum. Okay. In the middle and upper school, we keep the spaces open a couple of times, uh, you know, a couple of times a week. Okay, and the expectation is that each teacher will use the makerspace uh, at least once a year to do some meaningful project within it that advances their, you know, the learning that they're trying to do with their kids. Okay, mm. so this way students hit the makerspace from a variety of different classes and perspectives. And work on, uh, you know, work on essential critical thinking skills, but within their discipline. Okay, so the idea there is, even an English class can make effective use of a makerspace. Yeah. Okay, and so we want to encourage that. Um, you know, we had a history teacher who uh, who used it to have students make. Uh, analog tabletop games that were based on some topics, uh, you know, within, uh, you know, the early 20th century, the history of the early 20th century, right? And we had a science teacher who used it to help students learn the anatomical body systems, right? So they, they over the course of the year, built, built up their own human bodies, right? You know, and, and they literally built them from, you know, cardboard and foam, Okay. Cool. How do how do body cavities work? Well, each one of you gets a box of a certain size, and you're going to be putting mm-hmm. organs in there, right? That kind of thing. And um, and you know every school will do this a little differently, but that's how that's how we do it, right? Well, I certainly feel. I hope that our listeners feel the same way. I feel like this is really doable. Totally. I'm energized. I've got some new ideas. I live close enough to that trash for teachers that I'm going to go check that out. Right. Thinking who I can bring. Maybe I'm going to bring my choir teacher who also teaches the tech crew. I think she'd be super stoked to yeah. go check that out. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to think of, you know, so often I'm just going to my, my computer teacher um, with these ideas. And he's got so much that he's doing between the robotics and just teaching right. all of our computer classes. You know, he he can't do more. I need this spread out, diversified across Correct. the campus a little more. I think Correct. that's the secret. The yep. other thing um, I want to mention, this year I have three new teachers, three like additional teachers. So I okay. had to find some space I had uh, for these classrooms, right? And so right. some of these spaces that we had... I had to look at how they were being used. So, for example, we had two computer labs that teachers could bring their classes to. Okay. Well, 
by now we've got Chromebook carts in a lot of our classes, and the ones who don't have Chromebook carts are sharing Chromebook carts. Okay. So these computer labs were not being used very often. Right. Right? And we had two of them. So um, we ended up deciding, let's dissolve one of these computer labs. We sent the computers. We put one in every classroom because one of the issues we're having with our our Chromebooks is students couldn't print from the Chromebooks to a printer. Okay. God knows why. I'm sure this is very easily solved. But in our district, this was like an impossible dream. So what the what the kids had to do was send everything to the teacher, and then the teacher had to print it out for them. Good use of class time, right? Right, right. So we, fought, we sent a, a computer to each classroom that was going to be a student computer where kids would go and log into their Google Classroom and print their own stuff instead of sending it to the teacher. Right. Okay, revolutionary stuff we're doing right. here. Let me just yeah. tell you. It's 21st so, century right now. <laughs> but so now this classroom we um, turned into um, a place where my robotics teacher who got kicked out of his other room because we had to turn that into a classroom. Got it. He could set up and then <clears throat> the other half of the room I took a classroom that was being used just a storage. It's kind of it was like a curriculum lab, but it's yeah. the curriculum that never gets used. Right. I went in there for the first time with my media tech, God bless her soul, and said, "Okay, who's checked these books out? And when was the last time?" Oh, never. Like all of our, I'm a English teacher, and I'm looking at all these novels. I'm looking at the cover, and I'm telling you, not a single kid wants to read this book because the cover was designed in 1970. Right. And I know that this is a great book, but Nobody's checking it out. Nobody's reading it. Right. Let's get rid of the stuff that's not being used. Let's farm it out to teachers. We've got a bunch of stuff that we're putting on rolly carts, and I'm going to – next week our teachers come back. I'm putting it out in front of the library and say, take it or it's going in the garbage. Right. And we're just cleaning house. Right. And you got to do that at schools because, man, do we accumulate things, God right? God bless America. <laughs> God bless. So, you know, that, that textbook, the textbooks, every time we get a new adoption, for some reason we just feel like we have to hold on to some of the old ones. Right. <laughs> like, and I'm a big, and fortunately my media tech as well, loves to throw things away. So we were just having a ball this summer, getting rid of stuff. I called up my friends at the elementary. I said, I've got this, this, and this. You might be interested in using. Come and get it if you want it. And we cleared out, you know, we consolidated two rooms into one. And so we had an extra room um, that uh-huh. I was able to, you know, when you're looking at finding space around your campus, I want right. to remind you to look at some of those spaces that are just not used very right. much and ask yourself, do we need an entire room for these textbooks that nobody's using anymore? Well, well and, and, and think, think for a little bit now about what you just said in terms of recycling materials, okay? There you, yeah. So take those books that you were talking about from, you know, the Andrew Johnson administration that have been sitting around, okay? Well, if you have a proper cardboard cutter, you could get kids to cut the, to cut the hardcover covers off those books and cut the spine off cut the spine off yeah run all that paper through a paper shredder Hmm. and now you don't need foam interesting you see Mm -hmm. every single thing you have can be repurposed for a makerspace okay 
the those the book the the covers of of proper mm-hmm. textbooks mm-hmm. that's the best dang cardboard you're going to find yeah okay cut cut 2 300 of those books you've got 500 pieces of the best cardboard ever love it okay you take all those pages and you run them through a shredder now you've got the best paper mache ever think mm-hmm. about you know having students mm-hmm. make make paper from that paper that paper would be beautiful, mm-hmm. right? Do do a project where you have each class make paper from textbook paper that you then sell as wrapping paper, gift wrapping paper, because hmm. it'll be bright and colorful, right? Mm-hmm. With all the maps and all that, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? And uh, well, that's another way to generate revenue that goes back into your makerspace. Okay, mm-hmm. we had all this stuff that we don't need. Um, all of the uh, uh, all of the boxes that your coffee service comes in. Hmm. Never throw a box away again. <laughs> right? Never throw paper away again. Unless it's confidential, shred it and put it in the makerspace. Hmm. Okay? Nothing should go to waste until it has gone into that makerspace or a teacher has said, nah, that's ridiculous. No one will ever use that. <laughs> right? Um, because you just never know what someone is going to get jazzed about. It's the weirdest thing, okay, which is yeah. why I buy these weirdo things when I go to Joanne's at the start of the year mm. to, to, to load up. Like, I wonder if anyone will buy, will use this bird if I buy it. <laughs> okay, it's $3. I'll buy this little bird figurine, and we'll see how long it takes. And inevitably, before September 15th, I have a photo from my colleague, you know, hey, look, this student in the eighth grade is using this bird in this weird way that I would never have thought makes any sense. But it's in use. You were right. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, and you that know. storage piece, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about like, oh, we got to go buy a bunch of plastic bins. But you're right. I mean, the cardboard boxes, how many cardboard boxes do I have right now sitting in the hall? to be thrown out. Right. I just walked past and tripped over a bunch of them on, on Friday. And so that's what you start with, right? Correct. You don't have to have fancy, clear plastic nope. boxes. Nope. Particularly if you just want to store a bunch of shredded paper. It can Correct. Just, it can be in, and we're always getting shipments of things. Yeah, that is such a good idea. Yeah. Nothing that you encounter in day-to-day school life is actual waste. Yeah. It can go into a makerspace. Okay. Particularly if your makerspace is really about design thinking and, you know, mm. prototyping and what have you. If it's about electronics, that's you're going to struggle a little more because you're not going to find those things. But frankly, you you you'll you encounter waste wire. Yep. More than you probably realize and you encounter all kinds of other metal waste that could be put easily to use in such a space. So think about it. Love it. Yeah. So uh, perhaps uh, you know down the road, Jennifer, we might want to we might want to read a book or two about the maker movement, mm-hmm. and uh, and talk a little bit about curricular applications. Now that you've built your maker space, how do you apply it? Yeah, in, and in different disciplines, you know, I'm maybe thinking, for season two or down the road. And I want to challenge myself to take some pictures right. of my makerspace as I start filling it with things and 
posting those on our Facebook page. Totally. Yeah. That's the way to do and it. Maybe some listeners who have some cool spaces could post some pictures too. I'd love to see what other people are doing. hundred percent. Um, and how they're utilizing space in the most effective way. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, so I think that that gets us towards the end, don't you think? Yep. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm jazzed. Yeah. Uh, I look forward to seeing what you do with your space. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, you know, if I can, uh, if I can come up at some point and work with your teachers, I'd be happy to. Okay. Okay. That sounds great. All right, folks. Uh, thanks for listening. Find us on iTunes and on Facebook, many windows. Uh, five-star reviews are always good. Rate and review. It makes a huge difference, folks. You'd be surprised how much of a difference just one or two uh, five-star reviews makes in the way that the podcast gets positioned, you know, on these services. So anything you can do will be a great help to us. And uh, we look forward to talking to you next time. Yeah, thanks, John, and thanks, everyone, for listening. Okay, see you soon. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. That was pretty good. Was it? Yeah, it was all right. We're way off. It was all right. No, no, we're good. Uh,